Before I begin in Romans 8, I'd like to add a couple thoughts to Psalm 123. The best motion of a master's hand to a servant or a maiden is this. Come here. I want you to know that thou art a good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Have rule over many cities. It's the motion that Ahasuerus made when Esther, after three days of fasting and prayer, took it upon herself to stand in his court, and he raised his scepter to her. It was, in effect, come here. You have my audience. Let your enemies try to do anything in my presence. I will give you my word, my approval, and that should be the most. That should mean everything to you. And I hope that we can take Psalm 123 that way. I also want to say to you that others have gone out from us. They scorn us on their way out. They have contempt for us. It doesn't move me in the least. Right. Um, and I hope it doesn't move you. All that matters is the approval or disapproval of the God of heaven. Right. We should never care about the approval or disapproval of any man, any woman, or any group of men or women. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the prophets of old, the preachers that came from the apostles, they were scorned by many men, but it did not move them. We've been through it many times. We'll be through it again. The third thing I'd like to add is, just to back up what I said, that you're either in the category of the scorners, or you're with us. You can't be in the middle because there is no middle. Jesus said, if you're not for me, then you're against me when it comes to doctrine and practice. When it comes to association, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, if they're not against us, then they're for us. That was a man who was casting out devils in the name of Jesus Christ. Just because he didn't happen to wander around with the twelve didn't mean he was wrong. But if there's a change in doctrine or practice away from God's word, then it's a different statement from our Lord Jesus Christ. If they're not for us, they're against us. And so as you make choices, especially you young people, see, we're committed. We're not little children tossed to and fro. Those are Bible words. Little children are always tossed to and fro because you're not stable yet. You have no experience in life. You have no experience in doctrine. But if you make a choice to scorn us, if you make a choice to differ from us and leave us, you're in the camp of the scorners and those that are contemptible toward us because you can't be both. Right. I hope you love Psalm 123. We lift up our eyes to heaven, and the Lord says, come to me. And listen, he is sending Jesus Christ to take us all home to him. And we will receive the approbation of the only one that counts, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who cares, especially about children? They don't have a clue about anything, including their own lives. Let us be faithful to God's word and love truth like we just sang in that song, Break Thou the Bread of Life. Let's open our Bibles to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. 
I have many pages of notes that the Lord has helped me prepare. A page is typically worth an hour, so that sounds pretty scary. As we approach a few verses in Romans 8, and we will not take that long, but I thank you for coming out on a snowy day to be here when 500 other churches have closed their doors. May we be reminded in this very passage that the Lord's given us today to mind spiritual things instead of earthly things, fleshly things, or carnal things. I like to read to you the first eight verses, and if God will be merciful, that's how far we'll cover this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Amen. And amen. amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is the manual of our religion. This is the rock of our truth. This is revelation from heaven that he wants us to know. There may be other verses in Romans chapter 8 that you love and appreciate more. I can't say that I'm any different than you. But these are verses he gave us. And so these are verses that we want to go through carefully and understand. We took the first verse last Lord's Day. That the Apostle Paul, who felt himself in a hopeless, desperate situation in the last two verses of the previous chapter, finds condemnation lifted off of him. Verse 24 of Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The Apostle Paul had come to realize that there was a conflict in his life. He had a law in his mind in which he delighted after God's law. That law means that there was a force, a power, a dominion, a controlling influence in his mind that made him delight in God's 720 commandments of the Old Testament from Moses. But he found another law in his body. And that law in his body would take him captive at times and cause him to sin. And because he couldn't ever do the things that he knew were right perfectly, he felt hopeless in the sense of verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I can't deliver myself. Though I set my mind at the highest level that the law of God is holy and just and good and spiritual, I can't do it perfectly. I keep finding myself in the need of confessing my sins and starting over again. Who shall deliver me 
I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So we come to Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation. That's the thankfulness that he had in verse 25 of chapter 7. He now explains it. Condemnation has been lifted for all those that are in Christ Jesus. And we went over the phases of salvation which are necessary to understand the New Testament doctrine of salvation correctly. That we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and will be in Christ's presence in the final phase. And I hope you remember the phases in between. Eternal, legal, vital, practical, and final. The Lord's been so merciful that when we look at those words which are in Christ Jesus, we know that they start with the almighty, sovereign, independent will of God according to His grace and purpose given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That's where it gets its start. And that is what makes us separate enough to put on our sign at the road, predestinarian. And when they see Baptist and predestinarian, they say, what is that? Because 99% of Baptists aren't predestinarian. But anyway, thank you, Lord, for showing us baptism and predestination. They're both found in Scripture. But then we have that compound clause that ends Romans 8.1, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we have here a descriptive statement of the evidence, the character, the conduct, the lifestyle of those that are in Christ Jesus. This is the ordinary, this is the common, this is the regular position of the Scriptures on salvation. Those that are saved and are in Christ Jesus live a different kind of a life from everyone else. They walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. So then we come to verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Apostle Paul is playing a little bit by the Holy Spirit with the word law. He's going to use it in three senses in two verses. Because the use of the word law in verse 3 is the law of Moses. For what the law, when it says the law, without a description, it's the law of Moses. And it's the law that he was describing in Romans chapter 7. But the law in verse 2, in the first half, and the law in verse 2 in the second half, is not the law of Moses. It is a rule imposed by authority that controls or influences life. And there's two of them. And he has already told you what he means in the 23rd verse of Romans 7. Look at Romans 7, 23. In verse 22, Paul said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What is that law in verse 22? The law of Moses. It's the law of God. Remember, God wrote with his finger on tablets of stone and Moses brought them down. It's the law of God in verse 22. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. That verse right there is your cross-reference to understand verse 2 of chapter 8. The law of sin and death is his corrupt old nature that though he knows the law of God is good and holy and just and spiritual, and though he knows that eternal life is to be gained by keeping it, he cannot and will not keep it. He has another law in his members. A law is a rule imposed by authority to control or influence your conduct. 
And that rule is the rule of sin and death. That no matter what is offered, no matter how good the laws are, our old man wants to break them because it resents the authority of God in imposing his law upon us. So we have three laws. The law of Moses, which is the law of God. We have the law of our old man. And that law is a rule that when that evil is present with us all the time, is what Paul says here in Romans chapter 7. But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of a regenerate man. It is the rule, the control, the influence of a regenerate nature that has a different power in it. And it is the power of the Spirit of God for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. In verse 1, we had presented our salvation that Jesus Christ, and because we're in Him, has delivered us from the guilt and condemnation of the law. There is therefore not now no condemnation. But what happens after that transaction that took place on Calvary is that God puts His Spirit inside us, the spirit of life. We were dead in trespasses and sins. There was a reason that I started with Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 this morning. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Because God the Holy Spirit regenerates us by giving us a new nature that operates by a different law. And that law is, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That new nature is, I love God and I hate sin. And I hate when I sin. And so we've got these two laws. Without this second law of a second birth, there's only one law operating in a man. One birth, one law. What is that law? It's the law of sin and death. Make any commandment up that you want to, he'll break it. Make it the Garden of Eden, even though those two people didn't even have that law in them yet. They just had a devil that was unleashed on them personally in the Garden of Eden that took them down. But no matter what the commandment, no matter how good the circumstances, we will not learn righteousness. Will a man coming back from the dead help a man do righteous? Luke 16, 31 tells us no. In the book of Isaiah it says, If you put a wicked man in the land of the righteous and change his environment, I'm sorry about your psychology classes, they're wrong. If you change the environment of a person, does it change their nature? If you take a pig and scrub it at the local car wash and then put it in your house, what will it find sooner or later? Like within the next 30 minutes. Your bathtub. It's going to make mud. And it makes it fast. If you've ever been around pigs. You are not going to change its nature by scrubbing it. Because that's a law. And that law is the law of sin and death. It is our old nature. I want to make this as simple as possible. Don't let that second verse confuse you at all. But there is another law, brethren, that Paul had in him. It was the law of his mind. So that he concluded Romans 7 by saying, So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I have two laws in me. But this second law has freed me from the tyranny of the first law. The tyranny of the first law is we can never please God. We're going to read it in verses 7 and 8. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That is tyranny. 
That is being under the total control of one law. But when we're born again, we're freed from the total control of that one law, and we are given a power of life by the Spirit of God to live victoriously. We can choose to please God. We can choose to keep the law of God. We'll never be able to keep it perfectly because the two laws still exist, but you are freed from its dominion over you. Don't tell anyone, especially the Lord, that you can't help it. Confess it and then show that you can help it. If you've sinned, confess it and say, Lord, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Because that is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That is verse 2. We are transitioning in Romans 8 into the vital phase of salvation, which is regeneration. It's being born again. It's being quickened. It's the work of the spirit. But it's in conjunction And based on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's two things that we want out of verses 1 and 2. Those two things are that eternal life, which is the lifting of condemnation so that we don't go to hell, is in Jesus Christ. And the ability to walk after the Spirit is by a new law being put into us by regeneration. Those are the two things. He is going to explain the first one in verses 3 and 4 how condemnation was lifted. He's going to explain the second one, how we can live good good and holy lives in verses 5 through 14. Are you with me? If, if I made it... There's two things that I dread every day of my life. One, I misdivide the Word of God. I have begged Him all night long that I would not make an error on the application of any of these words in these eight verses. Two, that I don't make it plain so that you can just get your mental hands around it and lock it up and know that it's the truth and understand it and take it with you. Any minister can snow 95% of his congregation anytime he wants to. May the God of heaven strike me dead if I ever try to snow you. I don't want to snow myself. I don't want the devil to snow me. But there's something in the Bible that scares me. It says that my heart is deceitful above all things. And so we look at the context, and we look at the rest of the big context of Scripture, the immediate context, and we know what these laws are. Verse 2 should be plain to your understanding. It is an unregenerate man and a regenerate man. The regenerate man, because he has two births, has two laws. The unregenerate man has one law. Are we there? There's two things he wants us to understand. Condemnation was lifted because of Jesus Christ. We have the power to live a life of keeping God's law by the Spirit of God given to us after what Jesus did for us. The Spirit of God has not been introduced here for the first time. Brother Jim already referred to him from the verse I'm now going to turn you to in his prayer. It's 5-5. Romans 5, 5, hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And who's he given to? Those that are in Christ Jesus and their condemnation has been lifted. The gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the things Jesus Christ purchased for us by his death on the cross. Back to Romans 8. Let's go to verse 3. There's two things we want to get. In the minutes I've got left, two things. This is the third time I've said it. The two things are 
that condemnation is no more for us because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's why it says in the first verse, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And verses 3 and 4 are going to tell us how Christ Jesus took away all the guilt and condemnation of us breaking the law of God about a million times. The second thing I want you to get is from verses 5 through 14, we're only going to go to verse 8, is that God has given us the spirit of life so that we are no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We can keep the law of God. And we better keep the law of God. And it's a choice we make every day of what we're going to put our minds on. Because they that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. That means they care about them. They're attracted to them. They remember them. They delight in them. That's Romans 8, 1 through 8. You say, we use, we use verses 7 and 8 to prove the depravity of man. Yes, that's a secondary use for the passage. But the verses are there to tell us that if we are in the flesh, we do not have eternal life. If we are living regularly, consistently in the flesh, we do not have eternal life. Because a man that has the seed in him, 1 John 3, verses 6 through 10, The man that has the seed in him cannot continue in sin. Verse 3. Let's get get this first thing the Lord wants us to get. Now, do you have the law of the spirit of life? Listen, I have one hour on that text. You want one hour on one verse? I want to move on. The law, it's the regenerate man versus the unregenerate man. In verse 2, the law of the spirit... Of life. When it involves the Spirit, we are coming to a different phase of salvation and its regeneration. We now have a binding, strong, powerful, influential, controlling force in our lives. It's the new man in conjunction with the Spirit of God. And we are able to walk in the Spirit. We have it, the Spirit of life. We were dead. Now we have the Spirit of life. We have a law in our old man that's the law of sin and death. Now we have a law of life. It's by the Spirit of God that gives us power to live victoriously. Spirit-provided power to be able to do what we should do. That is a description of those that are in Christ Jesus. And it was important enough to the apostle that it's the compound clause at the end of verse 1, and it's the compound clause at the end of verse 4. Because in between, he's going to cover what Christ did for us. It's now the fourth time. In between, he's going to cover what Christ did for us, in lifting condemnation, and then we're going to learn about the effect of the Spirit in our lives and how we choose to put the spiritual new man on every day. But oh, what glorious news we have in verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Brethren, do you understand that every commandment God's given, your flesh is such that as soon as it discovers it and learns it, It exposes your sinfulness. It doesn't help make you better. It shows that you're worse. The more commandments you learn, the more wicked you find out you are. You know, there are so many schools that think that if we, if we teach the Ten Commandments, you can change the nature of a person. No, if you teach the Ten Commandments and teach them thoroughly, you're just going to tell every one of them that they are hopelessly lost. But you know what? The unregenerate never worry about being hopelessly lost, nor do they ever think they are. They all look at the Ten Commandments and say, I've kept all those. I had extenuating circumstances on the ones you think I broke. 
I've kept them all. Did the Apostle Paul think that way? Did he say, without the law, I was alive once? That means until I fully understood it, then sin came, sin revived, and I died. Is what he said in the uh, seventh verse, eighth verse, ninth verse of chapter seven. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. The law was perfect. The law was good, holy, just, and spiritual, as Paul has explained in Romans seven. You know it's good. If God wrote it with his finger and you look at those commandments, if a society were to live by the Ten Commandments, it would be one delightful society. And thanks be to God, many of the laws in our nation are built on the Ten Commandments. That's why the Ten Commandments are found in many places of legislative influence in Jefferson City, Missouri, in Washington, D.C., What the law could not do, it couldn't give us eternal life because it was weak through the flesh. Our flesh, since the Garden of Eden, is corrupt and we have the law of sin and death in us, which means, give me a commandment, I'll break it. Give me that commandment again, I'll break it again. Ask me why I'm breaking it and I'll tell you I hate it. I'll just break it. We have a law of sin and death that rebels against the law of God. So the law couldn't save us. The apostle would say in Galatians 3, which you read last night, I hope, that if there had been a law given which could have given eternal life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it wasn't by the law because the law was weak. Oh, it wasn't weak in itself. It was weak in our flesh, being unable to keep its terms. Our prayer meeting this morning began with my father reminding us about David who though he speaks of praying three times a day in Psalm fifty-five seventeen, he never kept the commandment that said that kings should never multiply wives to themselves. Kings have the financial means, usually the genetic package, the influence and power and things that attract women to have a whole harem. But God specifically told them in the book of Deuteronomy, Kings were not to multiply wives to themselves. Here's a man after God's own heart. The sweet psalmist of Israel takes on a lion and a bear protecting his father's sheep. Takes on Goliath protecting his nation. Cuts that giant's head off and feeds him to the birds. But he multiplied wives to himself. Because for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. When a man has the money, the means the attraction, and the women lining up. It's hard to say no in the flesh. And so he goes down the tubes. And the law of Moses can't save him. Oh, brethren, but the son of David handled everything just fine. This is the gospel right here in Romans 8.3. For what the law could not do, this is Moses' law, in that it was weak through the flesh. Our old, the law of sin and death in us, our old regenerate nature wouldn't keep it. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God sent his son Jesus Christ, not with the nature of angels according to Hebrews 2, but with the nature of you and me, flesh and blood, bones, He had a human body, and he experienced all the human temptations that we face. He had eyes that could see everything that tempt us with the lust of the eyes. He had flesh that desired things 
Listen, I am not speaking irreverently. I want you to understand our Savior. He had the physical lust of eating and sexual drive that any man has. But he never gave into it. He always kept it exactly where God told him to keep it. He obeyed his parents from the first day to the last. Though Jesus of Nazareth understood his parents' faults and weaknesses to a degree we can't comprehend about anyone. Not even ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Because you don't even know how bad you are. But the Lord Jesus knew how bad Joseph and Mary were. But do you know what? He was subject to them all the time. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was just like you. He was just like me. But without sin. Every temptation. He had more women chasing him than David did. When a man is able to raise dead relatives, and a man is as gracious and speaks like the Lord Jesus Christ, and a large part of his audience are converted prostitutes, there are women all around the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not speaking sacrilegiously, whatever you mean by that term. I want you to understand that you have a Savior that you can go to, and I want you to understand that you have a Savior that in the likeness of flesh condemned sin in the flesh. He came and took on every temptation we've ever had and beat it, and beat it, and beat it. Day after day, all the temptations that could be thrown at him. And you know, the devil was after the Lord Jesus Christ personally. The devil doesn't get to you personally. He has to send his little minions. But he went personally after the Lord Jesus Christ. Forty days hungry? When you're forty days hungry, you'll do anything. You're you're in trouble fourteen hours hungry. But the Lord Jesus Christ, it is written. It is written. What's written, brethren? Help me. I need a three-letter word that starts with L and ends with W. What was written? The law of God was written. And so every time Jesus was faced with a temptation, the law of God says, no. The law of God. That's what he meant with the words, it is written. This is our religion. The religion of substitutionary atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ came and kept the law of God perfectly in a flesh body, facing all the temptations like as we are tempted, yet without sin, and in that way he condemned sin. There is no law of sin and death in Jesus of Nazareth. There is no law of sin and death that you devil can get wrapped around me because I'm going to destroy sin by facing every temptation in a flesh body and beating it. Praise the Lord for my Savior. Praise the Lord. He condemned sin in the flesh. He was like me, but he didn't do the things I did. My parents were perfect in my eyes compared to Jesus' parents in his eyes. Do you understand me? And he was subject to them, and I was a fool. But praise be to God. Do you know what the next verse says? That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. I have fulfilled the law. Honor thy father and thy mother. I have fulfilled the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I have fulfilled the law. Thou shalt not steal. I have fulfilled the law. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. I have fulfilled the law. Selfish pig as I am. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I have fulfilled the law. 
I have fulfilled the law. Not in myself actively, in myself passively, because Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness is accounted to me at the throne of heaven. At the judgment bar of heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ in a flesh body just like mine. He took on the devil and won. He took on the devil and made a shame, openly, a shame of him openly, triumphing over him at the cross of Calvary. He took every temptation and won. This is the gospel. This is why it is said, there is therefore now no condemnation. God just cannot say, don't condemn him, I like him. God had to send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and let him take every temptation that I've taken, but he didn't succumb and give in to the temptation, then die for me. And you read in Galatians 3.13 last night that Christ was made a curse for us. For it is written, in what book is it written? I need that three-letter word again that has escaped my mind. It starts with L and ends with W. Law. It is written, in what book? Where? In the law of God, cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. My Jesus did this for me, and your Jesus did this for you, if you're in Christ Jesus. Well, how do I know if I'm in Christ Jesus? Walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. That's as simple as it gets, brethren. My Jesus did for me. He took on every commandment and He knew them perfectly. At the heart level. He didn't just do them outwardly like the Apostle Paul and the Pharisees did. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He kept all the commandments from the heart level outward for me and gave me that righteousness. Then he took my unrighteousness, which is known as wickedness in the Bible, and he died keeping the law as a criminal hanging on a tree, which was a curse. He became cursed for me because I was under the curse of the law. But he took my curse, paying for my sins, and he kept all the commandments to give me his perfect righteousness. We don't stop with the Sunday school ditty. That justification means just as if I'd never sinned. We go just a little bit farther. That justification is just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I had been as righteous as Jesus Christ. That is justification. That is the righteousness of God. All my sins paid for, all of His righteousness applied to me. That is why there is therefore now no condemnation. It's verses 3 and 4 explaining that part of verse 1, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And now to get us back to the subject at hand, we repeat the compound clause, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we've taken care of the the first of the two things God wants us to learn from these verses. The second thing He wants us to learn. You have the power to keep the law of God. Right. You have life within you to keep the law of God. You have the Spirit within you to keep the law of God. And so he has said twice in this compound clause, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And now he's going to start explaining that, walking after the Spirit. And he's going to explain it all the way to verse 14. We're only going to 8. But we're now at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh... What does it mean when he says, they that are after the flesh? Those that are walking after the flesh. That's what is in the last part of verse 4 and the last part of verse 1. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so now there's going to be a contrast drawn. An 
word, the contrast is between the unsaved and the saved. The contrast is not between the saved, but we still like the flesh, and the saved, and we like to live holy. Do you hear me? The Bible is not presented as a book with three categories for you to choose equally. It's presented with two, and once in a while we learn about an exceptional third category, and that's that there are people in heaven who wasted some of their lives walking in the flesh. But the evidence of eternal life is never found by walking in the flesh. And never is a child of God encouraged or allowed to walk in the flesh. They're always taught against it, and we want to teach against it. The comparison here is an unregenerate man and a regenerate. A man in the flesh, a man in the spirit. A man without the spirit of God. And what will verse 9 tell us about that man? He's just a carnal Christian? Or does it say, he's none of his? Hello? He's none of his. The saved, I mean the unsaved and the saved. Here we go. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh, that's an unregenerate man, do mind the things of the flesh. An unregenerate man minds what his flesh tells him. The word mind, when it's used as a verb like this, means to have in view, to contemplate, to purpose, to aim to do something, to bend one's attention toward it, to direct or apply oneself to it, to bring your mind or your energies to bear upon it, or to practice it diligently, to mind it. You think about it. You like it. You fantasize with it. You set your goals by it. Your priorities and your preferences are determined by your mind choosing the flesh. Your flesh is a Bible word to describe the law of sin and death. That everything God said to do, you do the opposite. What God said don't do, you like to do. That's the flesh. It's everything in your body. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Those things that make up all the sins that we commit. Those are the three categories. The lust of your eyes. The lust of your flesh, your body, desiring things, and the pride of life. So when you mind, those that are after the flesh, a man that is not born again, he's born once, he has one law. He only thinks about one thing. Do you know that Psalm 10.4 tells us God is not in all his thoughts? He minds the things of the flesh. All he can think about is how can I make my body happy? So what does God call him? A belly worshiper. Who does God say his God is? His belly. Because he worships physical satisfaction, physical pleasure, bodily pleasure, prideful pleasure. Anything that gets him more praise from men makes him happy because he's in love with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. So, what the apostle is teaching us, he's, he's opening up and explaining that the evidence of someone who is in Christ Jesus doesn't go after the flesh. The evidence of someone who's in Christ Jesus is someone who walks after the Spirit. And the way you walk after the Spirit is to mind the things of the Spirit. And so our second lesson that we want to take out of here in just a few minutes is to make the daily choice to mind, to set our attention, our affection, our thoughts, our memory, our preferences, our priorities on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? Well, the Spirit wrote this book. The Spirit, 
directs us toward heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ is, because the Holy Spirit bears witness of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. And you are there by a vital connection to Him, and you said you wanted to spend the rest of your life there when you were baptized, because when you were baptized, you came up out of Baptist baptismal waters to live a resurrected life with Christ. Those are things of the Spirit. They're the things of eternity. They're the things of heaven. They're the things of God's Word. They're the things of God's nature. They're the things of holiness, righteousness. And you make a choice every day. You make a choice when you're in your bed. What are you going to think about? Do you think about spiritual things, the things of the Spirit? If you're minding the Spirit, then you're walking after the Spirit. Because your preferences, your priorities, your choices are going to be spiritual in nature. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now, is that a clause in the second half of verse 5? Is there any English major here that wants to stand up and show herself brave by explaining to us the clause in the second half of verse 5? It doesn't have a verb. I just want to take a one minute here and chase a rabbit trail called an ellipsis in the English language. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What's the verb in that clause? Second half. Oh, mine, but it's not there. Is it in your Bible? No. It's, no, he knows it's there because it's in the first half of the clause. The Lord expects you to be smart enough that he doesn't have to repeat himself all the time. That you're going to understand that mine belongs there. Solomon does this all the time because he's always comparing two things. In, in, many, in, in many of his Proverbs are a comparison of one thing to another. I just want you to understand that the word mind belongs in the second half of the verse. It's not there by an elliptical force so that it doesn't distract you and you get immediately to the things after the Spirit. And those that are after the Spirit are tied together. If you're going to walk after the Spirit of God, which shows that you're in Christ Jesus and condemnation's been lifted and you're perfect in the sight of God you are going to mind the things of the Spirit of God. That is why we're here today. As I got up at 6 o'clock and walked the streets, kicking, trying to slide, wishing that there was a foot of snow so I could call all you and say, turn the fire up. Um, you know, the Lord just said to me, you've been studying all week long on minding the things of the Spirit. Can't do it. I'm sorry to disappoint any of you. Remember, I'm more disappointed than you are. You may get tomorrow off, and that's your work day. I didn't get my work day off. Enough of that. We mind the things of the Spirit. Do you want to be in the house of God? Do you want to sing and praise? When you're given an opportunity to get up before the great congregation and unleash three minutes of a torrent of heaven upon the ears of the rest of the congregation, do you sit back because you're afraid? Come on, get up, stutter, and stumble after every other word. We're going to still shout, clap, and say amen. This is the greatest listening audience in the world. You know how I know? You came today and you knew that I was speaking. Romans 8, 5. Brethren, if, if the condemnation is lifted off those that are in Christ Jesus, and if those that are in Christ Jesus are known by walking after the Spirit... And if walking after the Spirit is minding the things of the Spirit, let us mind the things of the Spirit. Romans 12 would say it this way, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the 
renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that acceptable and perfect and holy will of God. Jesus would say to Peter once when Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus, describing his coming crucifixion, Peter said, no way, Lord. I'm not going to let that happen to you. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that are of God. I'm just using a cross-reference there to help you understand what it means to mind the things of heaven. Peter was wanting to protect his Lord so that they might have an earthly relationship. Jesus was saying, you're talking like the devil, Peter. Get thee behind me. It says he rebuked Peter. You don't savor the things that are of God. Do you savor the things that are of God? Are they sweet to your taste, pleasant to your mind, joy to your heart, to worship God, to sing His praise, to open His Bible, to hear it preached, to be with God's people, to hear Psalm 123, to hear me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Do those things, do you mind them? If not, confess your error and choose to mind the things of the Spirit the rest of this day. Get, get that error. Because look what it says in verse 6. To be carnally minded is death. That is not death to fellowship. That is not some practical death. If you are carnally minded all the time, you're dying and going to hell. Right. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that is not life and peace in this world. That is eternal life and peace with God in the world to come. Because that is the context. Do you think verse 1 is talking about some condemnation of a practical sort? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That's talking about eternal life. Isn't verse 9 going to say, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you are none of His? Isn't verse 14 going to say, so then they that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are dealing with salvation. I know that if you follow the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, you are going to have an abundant life. You're going to have a life filled with love, joy, and peace. I know that, but that's not taught here. That's taught elsewhere. This is the difference between an unregenerate man and a regenerate man. To be carnally minded is death. Why? Because to be carnally minded is to set yourself as an enemy of God, hating every commandment of God, and never pleasing God. Guess where those people go? To hell. Where did I come up with those expressions? Verses 7 and 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. What's the because therefore? It's explaining that if you're carnally minded, you're going to die and go to hell. Right. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Do you know what God has to say about those that don't think the way He thinks? The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, 5. This is Romans 8, 1 through 8. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's the evidence. Condemnation's been lifted. I have eternal life in Christ. I have peace with God. The condemnation is out of the way. The righteousness of His law has been fulfilled in me. So that I have perfect peace with God. This is final peace. This is legal peace. It's not practical peace. Other places, like 1513, for those of you who think that I might be cutting out peace in this life, which I crave with all my heart. One of my favorite verses is Romans 1513. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's the Spirit with a different operation. And that Holy Spirit in Romans 1513 is giving you abounding hope by His power, and He's filling you with 
joy and peace while you believe the statements of Scripture by faith. That's a powerful verse. I love it. All you got to do to get inside of Romans 15, 13 is believe. He'll do the rest. He'll fill you with joy and peace and cause hope to abound by His power. You say, how much power does the Spirit of God have? Well, I think it says in Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Right. Did anything happen? You got the Piedmont of the Carolinas, and you got Michigan, you got I-75 in between them. On dry ground. Right. On dry ground. Romans 8. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That unregenerate man, every thought is in hatred toward God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Laws brought to bear on him, he'll break them. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Yes, these verses describe total depravity. They describe our nature before being born again. But in this context, they are not being used for that purpose. In this context, they are being used for describing the difference in the future destiny of a man walking after the flesh and a man walking after the Spirit. And only by walking after the Spirit can we know that we're in Christ Jesus, and only by being in Christ Jesus can we know that the righteousness of the law was fulfilled in us and condemnation has been lifted. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word to this end, that we rejoice in all that Jesus Christ has done for us in verses 3 and 4, and that we rejoice in what the Spirit of God has done for us in verse 2 by giving us a new law. You are a twice-born person. If you're born again today, you're twice-born, you have two laws. You are able to live victoriously for Jesus Christ. And may it direct us to mind the things of the Spirit, because if we're minding them, if we're thinking about the things of the Spirit, our feet will end up taking us. Because the Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew six nineteen through 21. What is valuable to you this day? Is it a spiritual thing or an earthly thing? Right. You will give an account for it in the day of judgment. You say, but I know about Samson and he made it to Hebrews 11. Yes, but your name isn't Samson. So you're not going to be with Samson when we get to the day of judgment. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may we mind the things of the Spirit the rest of this day. Amen. Amen.